Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Happy Hour History. Uh, welcome to any new listeners and all of my repeat listeners, of course. Um, if you are a new listener, you're not going to want to start on this episode. This is part two of a two-part series on Maria Teresa. It's actually technically a four-part series, if I'm being honest with you, because it's Maria Teresa and then her daughter. Um, I haven't told my mother at time of recording this who her daughter is, uh, so I'm going to make her guess in the podcast. Uh, A little cute mother-daughter story uh, in four parts, so you'll be hearing this for a while. Now, before I start um, into all of that, I just wanted to once again say thank you to all of my patrons on Patreon. Uh, They are actually getting this episode slightly early, um, so by the time this is out with the public, they will have hopefully already heard my thank you. I've gained a couple of new uh, Patreon subscribers at the $1 level, which is the artists, playwrights, and poets. I'll probably just call them the artists from now on because it's a bit shorter. Um, so thank you to all of the people who've joined that level. And then at the explorers and warriors level, uh, which we'll probably just call explorers on the podcast, um, I still have Alexander. So that's the level that you get your name shouted out at. So if you're looking to be embarrassed like Alexander has been for the last couple of episodes um, in the podcast itself, then you can join at that level and there's a couple of other tiers as well so feel free to have a look if you are interested and that is just patreon.com slash happy hour history pod but as always this podcast will be available to you no matter what it's just the bonus content if you are interested Um, as I said there will be a couple more episodes in this series Uh, this episode with Maria uh, Maria T and two episodes following with her daughter. So feel free to kind of keep your eye out for that. They should be released quite soon because, as I said, that content has all been recorded already, um, and you will be able to find that really easily. Um, But thank you guys for listening, and without further ado, I will get us right into the episode. everyone i'm here today once again with my mom special Hello. guest the specialist guest um and, not necessarily um just the one that journeyed the farthest moderately special she came all the way across the ocean to be on my podcast that's not true that's not true um and if you didn't listen to the first part of this uh we're talking about maria Theresa, empress uh holy roman empress uh queen of austria etc etc um, so if you haven't listened to part one, then you missed all the war, and uh, maybe that's for the best, but I would recommend actually going to listen to it. It sets up the whole scene. Uh, today we're going to be talking about her kind of as a domestic ruler. And I finally get to find out who her daughter is. Yeah. Probably should have Googled that while we were sitting here. No, you're not allowed to. Oh. You're not allowed to Google it. Um, I want to see if I can make you guess. I think you'll be able to guess once I start giving out names. Okay. Do you know how bad I was at the game we played last night? Yeah, that's true. But I'm going to tell you all of her children's names, so it's a pretty easy guess from there. 
Um, okay. But anyway, so I'm finally going to let her know who the daughter is, who will be our next episode, because we're sentimental like that. Um, but in the meantime, just before we start into anything, a reminder, um, this show is comedy history. So you'll learn about uh, Maria Teresa in this episode, but we also are ridiculous and there's swearing and stuff. Not for me, just for mom. She's got to swear for two. That's what moms do. I, I don't understand that, though, because you Mom, want permission. No. Moms eat for two when they're pregnant, and then they swear for two when their children are 22 years old and adults. That's definitely how it works. <laughs> that's, that's definitely how I've been told that goes. I will say all three of my daughters do not swear in front of me. Because we're good people. My son, on the other hand. We swear behind your back. Not about you, just behind your back. That's okay. Even if it's about me, that's okay. Anyway, so yeah, so they'll be swearing. Sorry, Mom, except not from me, just from you. Um, and content warning, although this one's actually not, like, racy the way some of the other episodes have been, so it's totally fine. Um, with that, let's begin. So back to Maria Teresa. I'm just as a summary. She um, was the only kind of, well, not the only daughter, but she was the daughter of a man who had no sons. He was the Holy Roman Emperor. There's a lot of Charleses in the story, so he's one of them. Um, and she ends up inheriting, um, Austria and its various crown lands. And this doesn't go so well because it turns out that nobody really was being serious when they said that she could do that, um, because she was the first woman to ever legally be able to inherit these lands. And, uh, so there's a bunch of wars and she ends up being queen and empress, um, but they do lose Silesia and that no one's really happy. The best kind of compromise, I guess. No one ends up happy. That is the best kind of compromise. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, but so these wars end, including uh, the Seven Years' War, which in America is usually known as the French and Indian War. It's all connected. I was surprised because, like I said, I did not know that. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it's an interesting story with that. Um, but now um, the wars are over, and we're going to talk more about her as an actual queen. Um, so she's known as a reformer. Um, a lot of people kind of include her with the various, like, enlightened despots of the time. So this, like, kind of late 1700s, uh, mid to late, anyways, there's a lot of rulers who, instead of claiming they are, like, king or queen or whatever by divine right, which is by God saying that they're meant to be because they're more important than everyone else, they basically practice, um... It's a very pragmatic way of doing it. They're like, I am your ruler because I'm, like, going to get stuff done for you. Like, you, you let me do this because I'm the only person who can do it. Okay. And people are like, yeah, all right, I guess. But, I mean, if you're born into it, you would think that you would kind of know what you're doing. Yeah, like, like Farmer I mean, Joe. Life. Farmer Joe down the road doesn't know how to balance a treasury. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I get that. So, yeah, so they basically took... And then these enlightened despots would... Um, they had these more kind of, I mean, no one is really liberal at the time. It's not a, like a real thing, but they're slightly more liberal than they would have been. And so they were a bit more concerned with attempting to help people okay. and like make things slightly easier for like the average human. It's not a great change, but like it's a little bit better. But it's going in the right direction. Yeah, it's not, it's not a step backwards, which is good. <laughs> Too bad, like, the average Joe couldn't just, like, vote for who's king. Yeah. Just, but I guess that wouldn't have went over at the time. That, uh, anytime I think about that kind of stuff, I always think about Monty Python. When they're, like, when they're talking about the, the watery bint who throws out the sword. He's like, I didn't vote for you. <laughs> He's 
no one votes for me. I, my, you know, got Excalibur from the lake. And they're like, what? <laughs> no one cares what she thinks. Um, but yeah, so she, Maria T is often seen as a reformer. And it, sometimes that gets her the, like, moniker, I guess, of being an enlightened despot. And in a lot of ways she is, but in some ways she isn't. Um, so she did do some reforms for her country. Now that she's got more free time with a little bit less war on her agenda. Um, so she centralizes power between the various crown lands that she has. Um, and that was good because it allowed her to strengthen her pretty lousy military. Um, which we've seen get crushed multiple times now. True. Um, she also was able to establish a high court and to reform the judiciary. Um, so slightly more kind of fair trials for the average person who, you know, maybe did or did not commit a crime, but has been, you know, called to court. Gotcha. Um, she, this is a weird one. She standardized the weights and measurements, which is important, but kind of weird. Pretty hard to do business if no one's using the same. True. I mean, like, you know, your pound isn't my pound. Yeah. Um, I'm going to fleece you, so that's fine. Well, that's just mean. That's just mean. That's just mean. Um, she also, interestingly, <laughs> she uh, she made she made compulsory schooling so that everybody would get some degree of education. Not like anything crazy, but you know. Okay, that's actually good. You would probably know like basic spelling and stuff like that. You might be able to and read girls a little bit. Got it too. I believe so. Well, that was nice. I would have to look that up more, but yeah, compulsory schooling. Um, she also created Vienna's Stock Exchange, which still is like, it's still the Stock Exchange today. So it's, she's the one who she started, started it. it. Yeah. Um, you know, mad props to her. She seems to have done a lot. Uh, she's amazing. She's also terrible, but she's amazing. Why is she um, terrible? I, haven't I got, guess you're going to get to the terrible stuff. I haven't stuff. gotten there yet, yeah. She um, was also, she also made sure because she loved Vienna that it was kind of updated and beautified, um, including paving the roads. So... A kind of more um, modernized city. So I'm kind of liking her right now. I can't wait for the dark stuff, though. So, yeah. So she she was a reformer in the sense that she created reforms. But she wasn't an enlightened despot. And actually, a lot of the reforms she created weren't really things that she wanted to do. She didn't do it to help the people. She did it because they helped her. Um, for various reasons, they benefited her and the ruling class. So she wasn't trying to, you know, change up the class system at all. Um, she truly did believe that God gave her her power, not the people giving her power. So she's not that kind of enlightened despot where it's like, I'm the most sensible choice for you. So to me, she kind of sounds like a little wacko there. You know, well, I mean, a lot, of, me a lot of people back then, I mean, getting into the like mid to late 1700s, that's less common to think. But a lot of people did, did still really believe that God gave... The religion. Yeah. yeah. That, I got you. That God called me to be the ruler, and that's why I was born into this family. Because if you think about it, if you're born into that family, you got to think to yourself, like, there's a reason that I was their child. I got Although, you. Although, in fairness, if you're really going with the that, that kind of frame of mind, then there's also a reason that God called Carlos II to be the king of Spain until he died from all of his incest. So that's why people... <laughs> you were talking about that before. All I could think of was the, 
The branches started to touch the trunk. But then I just thought that just sounded weird. The branches do touch the trunk, and it's dirty. <laughs> and a little bit. And I thought that sounded a little naughty. It's naughty, and it's gross. But you're it like, is. You're like, the branches curve inwards. <laughs> I can't be touching the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything's gross, but yeah. So, like, see, I was digging her until you said that she's basically doing this for her. I mean, in fairness, so, yeah, all so royals did it for them. You're thinking that, okay, she's, she's giving people an education, and that's good because she's bringing up a lower class that, you know, yeah. now can potentially read and write. Yeah. You know, that maybe they didn't before, it's or maybe not everybody did. It's unfortunate, but, I mean, a lot of times, that's the only reason that reforms ever get created, is that... To better themselves. Yeah, because the person doing it is like, by bettering you, I'm also bettering my own circumstances. So... It's, that kind of sucks. It sucks, but also, like, you do see, like, the pragmatism of that. Like, there, there's no such thing as a free lunch and all that, which is sad. I don't agree with that. Um, but that somebody is doing it for a reason that there's also There's always helps ulterior motives. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so she did believe that she was more important than them. <laughs> um, she was also Catholic, of course, as I said in the last episode. She hated non-Catholics. So she pro- uh, she persecuted Protestants. Um, if you can imagine, I mean, Frederick the Great from Prussia was Protestant. She almost had to marry that dude. Um, she did not like Protestants. <laughs> they took Silesia from her. Um, yeah, she's still smarting on that one. So she was mad about it. She was going to die mad about it, and it was fine. Um, she also uh, was very anti-Jew, which, not great. Never great. But also, lots of people were anti-Jew, doesn't actually mean it's okay, but it's a commonly held opinion. In that time period. Yeah. So it's not it's not good. Um, and there were lots of people back then who were not anti-Jew and that were fine with having Jews in their city. Um, but she was not for it. So she ends up kicking about 20,000 Jewish people out of the city of Prague. And they had nowhere to go. I was just going to say, did she have any Jewish people in her city? But I guess now she doesn't. Yeah, not when you kick them all out. You just randomly go house to house, knock on the door and say, are you Jewish? Hello, are you Jewish? And they're like, no. And you're like, okay, I guess you can stay. Get the hell out of here. Um, yeah, so she's not great on that front. So she's not progressive religiously. And there were people, like there were rulers by this point who were like, you know what? Like as long as no one's like aggressively fighting each other about religion, like do what you want. Well, kudos um, to them. But not her. Not her. She's Catholic, and she's like, we are all Catholic here. And they're like, no, actually. And she's like, no, we are all Catholic here. She stares right in their eyes. She's going to say you're giving me the death stare. I'm not Catholic. Don't we hurt all, me. I was raised Catholic. We are all Catholic here. What? Um, <laughs> so, I'm in trouble. So, yeah. So, she wasn't about it. Um, as Empress, she also, like I said, she technically shouldn't have been in power. Um, but she basically has turned her husband into, like, a limp noodle. That's not a penis joke. It's just that he doesn't have a backbone. <laughs> well, I don't think he had a backbone in the beginning, did he? I don't... He seemed to be kind of a pushover. I've been calling him a puppet. I feel like he's just, like, a chill dude. He's like, I really wasn't meant to be in this position anyway, so I don't feel like I, like, was owed it. So I don't really get to say anything. Yeah, so he's, like, chill about it. He's like, you know what? Do what you gotta do, girl. He's like, that's my wife. I got your back, honey. Yeah, he's, he's the one who's like, give me your earrings when you go for your fight, and I will hold them I'll for hold you. I'll hold your purse for you. <laughs> and then he stands on the sideline. He's like, that's my wife. <laughs> you go, bitch. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, so he's he's a good hubby, but he's not really the power. She's the power, even we though knew he, that. even though he's technically her superior as a a man, b her husband, and c the emperor. So on all fronts, he was more important than her, but he's not. Um, and they also, like I said, did at this point still have a remarkably stable marriage, and the infidelity was the thing that was happening. But she was pregnant 16 times. Yeah, so they were making it work. And the Prussian Grand Chancellor, Baron von First Kupferberg. Oh, please say that again. Kupferberg. (laughs) um, Says, uh, he said of them, few private individuals live in such heartfelt concord as the emperor and empress. So, that's cute. So cute. Um, I kind of like their relationship, even though it's not, like, wholly perfect. But no one is. Not perfect, and also not typical. Not typical. I just love. I just love that he's like, you know what, you do it, baby. Um, and then this. This is a. But he's got her back. This is uh, the part of my notes that is titled 16 Kids and Counting," which is only really a joke for people who have TLC, um, a show that I detest. Nineteen Kids and Counting. Can, can you get that over here? Is don't, that a thing? Don't think so. Oh, people know so about lucky. it. Yeah, it's these. So sorry, we're like a cult. We've digressed slightly from the actual history, but there's a show in America called Nineteen Kids and Counting, and it's about a cult family who've had a bunch of kids, and they have a really weird, like, fundy Baptist um, background, and so they don't believe in contraception. And I, lo- I actually love them. I follow like all of the news about them because I love hating them so much. I'm so interested in them because they're weird. The really, really scary part is they're all getting married. And having and so many babies. They're already, like, eventually, if you're from the States, they're going to be their own state. And it's really freaky, guys. So Because there's 19 kids. There's going to be, like, what, 100 grandkids. Yeah. There'll be, like, 500 great-grandkids. They are going to be their own small city pretty soon. Their own small city. So, uh, yeah, so we said that... Um, she has 16 children, and before I get any, into any of them uh, in detail, I was just curious if you have any guesses. And I actually think, based on what you've said to me off uh, the recording, I actually think that you might know. I don't think I do, and I, the one I had picked was a Marie, but I don't know her time period and when she existed. Yeah. So I could, could be completely wrong and I could be making a fool of myself, but that's okay. My guess was Marie Antoinette. And you're right. Oh my gosh. She's Marie Antoinette's mother. I told you the next story was more dramatic. And now here's the thing. Okay. I'm just going to be really, really honest. I don't know a lot about Marie Antoinette. Well, that's good because she's next episode. So... I just know the name. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, you know how it ends, right? I believe she's beheaded. She is. But, like I said, I don't know a bunch about her. Well, that's fine, because I will be teaching you, so you don't know. Oh, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Yeah. It was a smart... And honestly, I did not Google it. Yeah. Didn't even think about it until you came back in the room, and then it was too late. (laughs) I, uh, I actually assumed that after I started giving you names, it would be obvious. Although it is sort of still a little bit cloaked, and you'll see why in a second. Um, but it does get more obvious the more you see the names. Um, so like I said, she has 16 children, one of which is Marie Antoinette for, um, anyone who did not spoil it for themselves. But like I said, it was going to be in the show notes anyway. Um... She has 16 kids, 10 of which survived um, into adulthood. And that's decent for the time period. She's beating the odds. Yeah. Um, I mean, to compare, 
um, in England, there is a queen called um, Queen Anne. She is um, earlier. Um, she would have been early 1700s, and this is, this is mid-1700s. Comparatively, uh, Queen Anne of uh, England and Scotland, and which would eventually be um, Great Britain, she um, was born a little bit earlier, so early 1700s. She's pregnant 18 times. Okay. Only five of these children are even born alive. Oh, and wow. And none of them survive into adulthood. 18 Yeah, so to get 10 to adulthood. So 10 out of 16, I mean, it's always a tragedy for these people to have babies die because it's like God is punishing them and stuff. Um, but also it's seen as like... But she got more than half. Yeah, it's, it's, it is seen as very, very kind of normal, um, unfortunately. Um, and so three of her children died of smallpox as kind of children or young adults, um, which if you think her intended first husband yes. uh, died of smallpox as well. Um, two die at birth and one died as a baby. Um, so that's how the six that pass away do. Um, but ten survived to childhood. Also, I think it's interesting that any time a baby dies, like no matter what point of its life it dies at, um, she then, the next baby born of the same gender gets that same name. So it's like kids are sort of replaceable at that time. It sounds like they're replaceable, but maybe since they named everybody Charles... Well, that is going to come up in a second. I mean, I'm sure that if a Charles dies, you've got to have another one. So here are her baby names in order of their birth. And you're going to notice a pattern <laughs> right off the bat. We have Maria Elizabeth, Maria Anna, Maria Carolina, Joseph, Maria Christina, Maria Elizabeth, Charles Joseph, Maria Amelia, or Amalia, don't know, maybe different pronunciations, Leopold. Maria Carolina, Maria Johanna, Maria Josepha, Maria Carolina, Ferdinand, Maria Antonio, Maximilian. Do you think she liked her name? She loves her name. Um, And also probably the Virgin Mary. She's all up in that Catholic biz. Did most of the Marias survive? Well, all of the girls are called Maria something. Um, I'm sure with 10 of 10 surviving to adulthood, some of them. So, yeah, so so, um, most a lot of them do. And and the Um, Leopold, was that a nod to her first, first, yeah, her intended husband? Probably. I mean, I don't see why not. That was nice. Um, And so, um, because I said so many of them, um, I'll just, it was kind of hard to catch, but there are two Maria Elizabeths. And um, there are three Maria Carolinas. So you know that so, she lost at least three girls. Yes. So we know that it's the third Maria Carolina and the second Maria Elizabeth who actually make it out of childhood. How do you feel if I would have named you all Heather? That would have been awkward. Well, that's what... Then I then I uh, was thinking, we have our own Maria names. You're Maria Heather and I'm Maria Caden. So hello, Maria Heather. Welcome to the podcast. Well, well technically, the Marie comes second. No, I know. <laughs> is the the joke here is uh, <laughs> that we're both actually Maries, which of course is just the Frencher version of Maria. Um, so she's Heather Marie, and I'm Caden Marie. But today we're Maria Heather and Maria Caden. So wow. we basically are this family, just in reverse slightly. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yes. Yeah, so now you can only call me Maria Caden today. Yeah, like I said, Carolina and Elizabeth were used multiple times. A, because those children died, but actually because those were also honor names. So, I mean, if, like, Maria Amalia had died, you'd be like, okay, that sucks, but also, like, sucks for the baby, of course. But also, like, the name 
maybe is less important. I don't know. They may have known an Amalia and it was an honor name. Um, but Carolina is the female form of Charles. So that's honestly, obviously in, in honor to her father. And then Maria Elizabeth, the Maria Elizabeth died. Um, her own mother and her mother-in-law, um, obviously Frankie's mother, uh, were both called Elizabeth. So the fact that those children died is weirdly, like, it's almost too perfect that it's yeah, like, it's like the name kind of... you like, got to wonder, did the name do it? It's like your parents suck so much that God has decided they, they to smite. They don't want you. Yeah, they don't want you. God smites your children. Um, but I mean, obviously, two, well, two of them live. Ev- right? if, you, if you name enough children, Maria Elizabeth and Maria Carolina, eventually it has want- to stick. Unless it was the very last one and then she didn't have another girl. That's true, yes. But they, I think, from what I understand, they both end up living. Um so yeah, so it's their honor names, and so they keep just handing them out when one dies. That's got to get confusing after a point, but whatever. Um, so she is a political mom. So there are some queens who, when they are queens themselves, um, they obviously don't have a lot of power, so they take the mum role by the horns, kind of. There are other queens who are so invested in being rulers that they um, either, A, don't have children at all, like Queen Elizabeth, or they... Um, have kids kind of because it's their duty, but don't have an attachment to their kids. Manning them and, out. Yeah. And so in this situation, she's kind of both and neither. Well, actually, I'd go more for both, to be honest. Um, so she um, uses them kind of as like political tools. So she would present herself as this young mother of these cute little kids and she'd be like, oh, look at me. I'm a mom. I got these cute little kids. Don't you guys want to help me? And it would help to get nobles on her side. And if you think earlier in the last episode when I talked about um, the War of Austria and Secession and the way that, like, the Bohemians and Prague were, like, ousting her as the queen. And then she made this whole thing about, like, but I'm just a pregnant lady and I can't give birth anywhere. And it has, like, all these kind of religious throwback connotations and also... She's presenting herself as this, like, young mom who just, like, needs everybody's help. And um, so it, it was sort of a political tool. So sometimes, like, you got to play to your strengths. Yeah. It's and like, her kids have become that. You she, know, like, it's, like, it's like if you know that your country expects you to have children, and it's like, well, I can't get out of that. So if I'm going to do it, I may as well ham it up. Yeah, and then get the sympathy. Yeah. So get she, the sympathy vote. So she's, she's, like, one of those people, I think, that's really good at spin. Like, she can take a bad situation and spin it in her favor. Um, so she's not a particularly... She's not really known as being a particularly loving mother. Um, one of her daughters said of her, uh, quote, As soon as news arrived of the arrival of a foreigner of importance in Vienna, the empress surrounded herself with her family, brought him to the table, and by means of this calculated demonstration of closeness, evoked the belief that she herself supervised her children's upbringing. So I'm assuming she didn't then. No, it doesn't seem like she was too involved. I mean, when you got 10 surviving children, um, it's a lot also when you're empress and you're the one really running the game anyway. Because if she wasn't running the game, she'd have more free time. But um, I mean, you make a good point, you know. It's only so many hours in a day. But I mean, even she still could have like loved and had affection for them even if she didn't see them all the time. But it doesn't necessarily seem like that was always the case. Um, Eventually, yeah. Eventually, when one of her sons married, her daughter-in-law said of her, 
Quote, her love is never free of mistrust and a noticeable coolness. As far as her children are concerned, the Empress does indeed love them, but she proceeds from a, a false precept, which consists in a strict, uh, which consists in a strictness of all too great severity. So she's just kind of like I feel like she's your typical like like mean mom in a film. Like if she's their real mom, but like if this was a Disney movie, she would be the evil stepmother who like whacks your fingers with a ruler like, and stuff. Like Cinderella's. Yeah, she's just not very like loving. Okay, just so you know, she's one of my favorite characters. Just gonna put that out. She's there. evil though. Um, it's <laughs> probably why I like her. Um, but was she smart enough to marry all her kids off to like other countries so that she, oh, she kind of has power she gonna be. Oh yeah. Oh, she oh. gonna be. Um, so she was also prone to having favorites. Um, and she would uh, like very openly favor those children in front of the others. And she was very quick to be openly critical of her children as well. Um, so in a letter to her daughter, Maria Amalia, she herself wrote, uh, quote, your manner of speaking is anything but good, especially when you are speaking French. That is not my fault. How often have I harangued you and shown you how better to make progress, but in vain. The less you speak, the better. For I know the manner in which you chatter away and must tell you as a friend that it is very tedious and larded with all sorts of platitudes. Ouch. Now, by this point, Maria Amalia would have been a bit older, I would imagine, um, but but still hearing that that's not a friendly thing to say to your kid the less you speak the better burn um so yeah she's very critical i think in her mind she is raising like queens and kings she's not raising children and i guess in theory that's kind of how you have to look at it and you got to bring them up with that that understanding that this is what you're going to be. It's always interesting to see, like, the contrast between, um, like, nobles who were raised in loving. Like, re like there are some families who are so loving. And that's great. And sometimes it works. And sometimes it really messes things up when you're ruling and you can't, like, you can't function correctly. Because you, in a sense, rulers do have to almost be very kind of removed from it all. It's kind of sad, though. Um, and they, yeah, it's like they don't have, they're not like a person. They're like the idea of the state. And so some families who are so loving, it works out really well. And sometimes it goes horribly wrong. But then you have situations like this where these, you have to imagine these children were so messed up being raised like this and not feeling like they actually have like a family. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't. Granted, yeah, I granted, it. there were some kids who were really close with their dad, of course, because he seemed like the cooler parent. He was the laid back one. He yeah. was the cooler. It's like when you're like, I don't really want to ask mom for this, so I'm gonna go ask dad, and he'll say yes. But but what happens if dad's like, I gotta ask your mom because she wears the pants in the family? <laughs> you're like, no, just say yes. Don't pretend like you asked her. <laughs> pretend like you asked her last night when she was drunk. Because <laughs> you gotta imagine they were probably whining it up at those dinner parties. True. Um. Yeah, because, like, water's still not really sanitary that time. We're going to end all the family strife. So here's the tea on the family. So I'm, I've kind of broken it down into some of the most notable children. Um, excluding, actually, her most notable of all, which is, of course, Marie Antoinette. I skipped her because she's coming. Um, so her favorite daughter uh, was Maria Christina. This made Maria Christina not particularly well-liked by her siblings. I can understand um, that. 
So she was the favorite daughter, and the other kids, of course, hated her. She was the only child who was allowed to marry for love. Was she the oldest? She was not. Maria, I was just wondering where in the pecking Maria order Christina is the fifth born and I believe the third to actually live. Okay. Because I just wondered, you know, like maybe like her oldest daughter or something, just something no. was a favorite. Her oldest daughter actually has, her oldest surviving daughter, her oldest daughter passes. And then the next one, the second born, who becomes the oldest. Um, she has a sadder life, which I'll talk about. In, actually, I can talk about it now. I'll just have to slip slightly down my notes. So her eldest surviving child was Maria Anna. She was very intellectual and was kind of, interested in these conversations she was close with her dad for that reason but she also had uh, a deformed rib cage and because of the deformity um and that being seen as like not appropriate for like a royal marriage she never was married off um so she actually remains with her mother until uh, her mother dies so i can understand why she wasn't a favored one then because she Really couldn't bring anything to the table. Yeah, she's not useful, which is sad. And so it, it kind of reminds me of, like, in, in films and stuff, when you see that one kid who gets stuck living with the parent, and then they, like, become so, like, attached to them, not because of, like, love, but because that's just, like, that's all they have is, like, that parent who is there to protect them because they can't, like, get married or anything. Yeah. Um, For anyone who's read War and Peace, there's a character called Mary who I kind of think of as being, like... Um, Maria Anna Um, but so she was never married because of her deformity she remained with her mother until uh, Maria Theresa died and at that point she's uh, 42 years old and so she joins a convent so it's kind of a sad story kind of a sad life I agree Um, her prettiest daughter uh, was Maria Elizabeth she was meant to be her mother's marriage pawn because obviously the prettiest one you can kind of sell off for the most. Um, her uh, Obviously, when you have this many daughters, I mean, I think like 10 of the 16 children were daughters. Like 9 or 10 is quite a lot. So when you have that many daughters, it's a very kind of a, uh, like Pride and Prejudice Miss Bennett classic where she says like, there has to be a reason why my daughter was born so beautiful and that's to to form the best possible marriage. So she's the most beautiful initially. The problem is, is that she gets smallpox and she's not killed by it, which is good because some of the others were, Um, but it scars her for life. Like legitimately scars. See, that's another sad one then. Yeah, and so she also uh, never gets married and she becomes really bitter in her old age. Um, And that's really sad too, because um, I mean, it's, it would have been sad to be her mother's marriage pawn because she wouldn't, like, her, her sister Marie Christina gets to marry for love. And that was never on the table for her as the most beautiful. But equally as bad as... But in theory, she could have fallen with the person But she yeah, married. she could have had a future. She could have been a queen. And instead, she ends up never married. Um, and scarred for life. And apparently nobody, like, nobody was willing to marry that. So, or it just doesn't work out. Um, her favorite son was Charles Joseph. He was the second son, so he wasn't the heir. Um, he was more charming than his older brother, though, and I think everyone knew it, and, like, they kind of talked about it, which sucks for the older brother, but unfortunately, he dies at 16 from smallpox, which I think may have been the same, not positive, but probably the same epidemic that swept through the family and scarred, um, his sister. Okay. So, he passes away, um, but he wasn't the heir, so it's not actually, like, a secession problem, and that's, uh, in a sense, it's just upsetting to her because he was the favorite son. 
Um, she has a, I said the most tumultuous relationship. I'm not positive that that's the most, but it's definitely one of the most. Maria Amalia. Uh, she was forced to marry against her will for political reasons, and she begged not to have to marry this guy. And if you think about it, when I said earlier in the first episode, um, Maria Teresa herself was always like, I don't want to be a pawn in my father's political schemes. But she did it to her So she's, yeah, she's not practicing what she preaches. Um, So, yeah, so Maria Amalia begged not to marry this guy. But it had to be done. It was um, for, um, like, a treaty, basically, that had to be carried out. And so she never forgave her mother for this. And they had a very kind of cold, cordial relationship. And, they, you know, they'd still speak. And Maria Teresa was the kind of mother who, even when her daughters were shipped off to a new country, she was constantly writing them and berating them. I mean, Maria Amalia was the same daughter that got that letter saying that your French is so bad and you shouldn't speak. You kind of love being berated by your mother. Like, and like you think, like that mail was so slow too, so you have to really make the effort to send that mean letter. Yeah, I was going to say, you really want to have to send it. Um, And so she was just mean. And I mean, even, like, we'll get into this obviously later on in the next episode, Um, but she was was in constant contact uh, with Marie Antoinette. Um, In, obviously, in this this part of her life, she's Maria Antonia. But but Um, the one that, that, was used for the pawn did she ever fall in love with her husband i don't think so okay i that, didn't look i didn't shame. i didn't look too deep into maria malia's life i'd be interested to know more about her but yeah she was she really didn't want to do it um and she was like she just anything to get out of it and her mother said no um yeah, and, that, and it never their relationship was never able to recover um and then just kind of as a summary because those are some of the most like interesting of the children besides obviously the most interesting uh, many of the marriages that she forced her children into were with the bourbon family and they were the ones of course in power in france and spain and this was to um solidify that relationship that i said they'd established earlier around the time of the seven years war um she was marrying them into that so there'd be that connection and um this helped to maintain some level of stability of like balance of power but also it gave her like this title of like mother-in-law of Europe because through all of her daughters, because she had so many, except for all the ones that died or became so deformed that they couldn't marry, um, she was able to sort of have all these daughters marry off and then through writing all these letters to them, sort of control their lives from a distance. And so she becomes the mother-in-law. I mean, that's quite the feat. Yeah, she did it. I mean, it, it, did it work? I mean... Did she get, did she get a lot of good, successful... I mean, I don't think it, like, doesn't not work. Um, but, I mean, we see that stuff with, like, the stuff's about to go real wrong in Europe generally. And that's partially to do with her daughter, but not really. But the French Revolution happens. Yeah. And Europe is very, very altered. Not so much even just by the French Revolution itself, but by Napoleon, who comes out of that. Um, gotcha. Because he's the end. the The French Revolution leads to Napoleon's rise, and then him he takes over quite a lot of Europe. And there's a lot when he is eventually ousted. There's a lot of recovery that the nobles have to do to maintain power. Because okay. he he really did try to get rid of a lot of like typical nobility things. He wasn't totally, you know, benevolent either. He wanted his own power, but let's be honest: how many benevolent ones are there? Never. Exactly. Um, but he was doing, he was doing things 
better for the people. And then, of course, the nobles, once they are able to get rid of him, they're like, no. Don't think so. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Don't like that so much. Um, anyways, so uh, family strife, but then make it sadder um, as her family life continues. In 1765, um, her family gets together to celebrate the marriage of her son, Leopold. He, w- at this point, would have been, I believe, the second son. He would have been third, but then his brother died of smallpox. Um so he's getting married to another Bourbon girl um, from the Spain line, not the France line. And while they're having their kind of trip for this wedding and they're really excited, uh, Francis Stephen is coming home from the opera in his carriage and he dies. Just randomly? Just like dies. Um, some places that I looked would go so far as to say that it was a stroke. Um, but I couldn't find that, like, kind of very reputably stated, so I'm not sure if I'm just not looking hard enough or if they're not sure, but it seemed kind of vague. Basically, he's in the carriage and he's alive, and then he's in the carriage and he's dead. So you're thinking, like, stroke, heart attack, something Yeah, something kind of quick. Yeah. Um, and so, sort of a bummer to the marriage celebrations, I would think. Uh, you know, not so happy anymore. So Maria Teresa falls into immediate grief. Um, she's the earlier version of, uh, Queen Victoria, who also would eventually spend, like, 40 years in mourning for her husband. Um, so Maria... Long time. Yeah, she, well, yeah, she wore black for the rest of her life, uh, Queen Victoria. And Maria Theresa, um, was doing it first. So actually, uh, who, you know, who actually sets that standard? Probably not even her, because I assume people have done it in the past for long, long, long periods of time. But Maria Theresa does beat, um... Queen Victoria by a considerable number of decades. And so she cuts her hair, she dresses in black for the rest of her life, and she decides to give up all of her like courtly pleasures because um, it was a very kind of fun and exciting and boisterous court to be in for the most part. And she decides that that's all done. We're going to be austere now. So she sort of at this point takes on a very matronly attitude. Um, you know, she had 16 births and stuff, but it's this point that she's like, no, we're done with that. We're not having any fun anymore. Um, you gotta wonder, at this point, how old do you think she is? Or do you... I believe that she's 48. Okay. And, I mean, I'm assuming back then that's pretty decently Yeah, I mean, it's not aged. like old, old. Um, it's, I would say it's still, like, it's definitely, you know, like middle-aged and stuff, but I don't think... That he would have been expected to die like right then. People did live; they could they could very easily live longer than that, especially in their situation of like wealth. But obviously, there's just like like the smallpox. No amount of wealth stops that. So true. Uh, and they obviously suffered that quite a lot in their family. After the death of her husband, a scrap of paper was found in her prayer book, and she actually had calculated the exact length of her marriage. So she had written down in her prayer book, 29 years, 6 months, 6 days. That makes 29 years, 335 months, 1,554 weeks, 10,781 days, 258,744 hours. That's impressive. I think it's so sweet. So that's like in a loving way, not in, oh my God, I'm stuck with him. This no, I was trapped. <laughs> um, no, she loved him. This is my alert. <laughs> you, know, you know, despite all of their own problems and the infidelity and the loss of their, some of their children, 
yeah, they were a very happy couple, and she was, like I said, she was devastated when he died, so she calculated out the exact amount of time that they'd spent together. Um, as, I guess, as married husband and wife, not, like, before that. That would have been too hard. Um, she stepped back from her public life quite considerably at this point. Um, and it, you, if you think now, technically, because she derived her power from her husband, even though she was the one who inherited um, yes. He was still emperor. So technically at this point, it should go to her son, and she should become the Dowager Empress. Um, and it, it it does happen. Her adult son, Joseph, um, who was fully capable to rule on his own because he's past the age of, like, majority, um, he does become, like, the technically the head of the family, and, and he's in power, but she's still there, and they actually co-rule. She just does not give that up, does she? She has the firmest grasp on those reins. She got white knuckle grasp. Um, yeah, I mean, once again, kudos to her. She's not letting go. She's like, I don't care about patriarchy. I get that we pass it down to the men, but who's going to stop me from not letting that happen? And I'm assuming her son doesn't. And she raised those children to be as obedient as she could. So once again, we have a puppet. Yeah, so, I mean, they do rule together. and So um, he's allowed to have some opinions and some and it, say. Yeah, and at this point, like I said, she was quite conservative already. Like, she wasn't the, the like, large-scale reformer that we think of, even though she does pursue reform. Um, but she, at this point, is even more conservative. And the thing is that even though her father, or even though her son was okay mm-hmm. with, like, kind of working together, he actually had real ideas for reform and like actually believed in them and she let him have the ideas though i mean yeah but the thing is is that because they're kind of jointly ruling it does cause problems because they can't make decisions on things they can't come together and so and so actually some of the some of the um the reforms that i mentioned earlier they don't all happen at once they happen over a span of time and some of them are actually because her son pushes for them even not always just when he's in power, technically, but also sometimes when he's younger and he's like preparing for the day that he'll be in power. But he is sometimes the one who says, like, Mom, I think we should do this. And she's like, I guess. <laughs> and then sometimes she has, um, like, there are other times when she is like fully in power before her son takes over um, and before her husband dies, even, where they'll have like ministers and stuff come in and say, like, like you know, Your Grace, Your Majesty, Empress, we think that it might be smarter if, you know, there's compulsory schooling or we pave the roads or whatever it is. I'm not really sure which one she was, like, kind of avidly against. And they're like, we really think you should do this. And she's like, I guess. I don't really she's want to. She's got to be really persuasive with her. Yeah. So she. So some of the things are actually because of Joseph. Um, and they did have differing opinions on the need for reforms. Um, so she's, My question would be, who gets the final say? I hard to say. Um, I think they probably duped it out quite a lot, but she. I think she's just such a powerhouse, and uh, like also, even though he technically has like the title, the title, the de jure kind of like that's what um, like the law gives him. She's de facto the ruler. Like she has the respect of the ministers and the nobles, and she's been doing it for so long that everyone's like, I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's kind of good that she has it because in the beginning she had to really fight for it. Yeah. You know, but... Yeah, so she really... It's, she just hammed it up with those kids being like, look at me, I'm a cute little mom. 
And then they were like, we love you. But when you. the time comes, she doesn't want to hand it over. She doesn't she believe doesn't. that her no. children are good enough to no. take the reins. Oh, no. She's, I feel like she's a helicopter parent. I wouldn't know what that is because I am not one. It's, you know what it, I you know know what it means. I know what it is. I was like, you know what it means, right? Do I have I'm to, like, just saying, I, like, I'm not one of them. I was so. like, that's Urban Dictionary. <laughs> no, she's a helicopter <laughs> mom. She cannot let go of, like, the power and, and telling them what to do. And she, and even with her daughters who move away, like I said, she's always writing to them and being like, why, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you smarter? Why aren't you prettier? Why aren't you better? And I'm assuming that she's hearing a lot from whatever sources. Oh, she's writing are, to are, everyone. But she's, she's writing to everyone, but she has to be getting information to make that assumption that her daughters aren't Oh, yeah, I know. Like, she's like, she's, you know, she's writing to like her her various kind of ministers that work in the other countries like they've got ambassadors and stuff so basically they're she's, ratting them out she's getting all the details she has the tea they're like damn it and, and yeah and then the kids are like mom really mom yeah she needs to she needs to step back a little she yeah she doesn't know how to let go of not of her children but of the power she yeah, lets go of the say, children really I was easy. Say, yeah she's got all these kids out there and she has them in different countries and everything and i just think she wants that power but, I mean, in theory, she doesn't have it. She's like the puppet master. She doesn't have necessarily any real power, but she controls all the strings of her children. And her children have levels of power, whether it's the women being queens, which is like, do they have power? Maybe not, but whatever. And then you also have, like, her son, who is now, like, the emperor, and she's pulling that string real hard. That sounds weirdly sexual, but it's not. She's just... <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she's definitely the power behind that throne. I mean, not even really behind it. Everyone knows that she's the power. She's the power sitting right next to him in a throne that's slightly taller. And he's got to walk two steps behind him. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Mom, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, so basically, this is kind of a summary of the rest of it because um, we're kind of at the end of the story now for her. Um, so for the rest of her life, she would be in, heavily involved in her children's lives, which we already discussed. Um, often against their wishes. They didn't really want her as heavily involved as she wanted to be. Um, she would then eventually die of pneumonia in Vienna on the 29th of November in uh, 1980. In 1780. Um, and she was 63 years old at the time. That was 15 years after her husband's death. Um, you gotta wonder if her kids were like, yeah, they're she's they're gone. Like, thank God. Wait I mean, off that's my back. That's horrible to say, but you know, like it's like time. Like the time has come. Like you, but you're at that with that point that you can, I can live my life. Yeah, I may be in my forties, but I can be an adult. But now. I can be. And then you've got poor. Uh, oh goodness, I need to go back a little bit. You got poor Maria Anna who is deformed and stayed with her mother all those years, and now she's like, well, mom's dead, I guess. I gotta go join a convent. Oh, anyways, poor girl. Poor girl. Um, we love her. We're Team Maria Anna here. Um, and so in the last hours of her life, she actually wore her husband's dressing gown. She loved him so much. She loved the husband and was, like, pretty meh about the kids. I mean, it, it's nice that she loved the husband, and it shows she actually had some feelings. But the kids, the kids are like, oh, but we'll it's just like. I get where she's coming from with the kids. I do. She's she's just power hungry, and so also, she needs that. and also, it, it almost seems like. I mean, maybe it was like a coping mechanism. Like, I like these kids don't really belong to me. They belong to the state anyway. So if I just never really 
truly develop an affection for them than when I lose them to other countries and to their like political roles, then it's not like I've lost something that I really care about. And I think I if mean, you maybe, separate yourself Yeah, maybe from that, she cared so much about her husband that she couldn't fathom caring about 16 other people that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, and I mean, and or I mean, that I, knowing that eventually, maybe when she started losing some of them, she kept saying, she put it to a point where she was like, if I don't care about him, it won't hurt me so much. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, it does seem like this is sort of a like a, an ad hoc observation, so it might not really be true, but it does seem like she likes some of the older kids a bit more than some of the younger kids. Well, that kind of sucks. I mean, Maria Christina was her favorite. And like I said, she was the like third fifth. surviving fifth born. Um, and like the lower you get, the more like she like her daughter, Maria Antonia, who, of course, becomes Marie Antoinette when she moves to France. She like is almost seen as so unimportant. She's like, you're literally the last daughter. Like, who cares who you marry? You're not even getting a really good education because you're not going to get anyone good. And then they're like. But what if it was the like the the heir to France, and she's like, shoot, I done messed up. <laughs> I didn't educate this girl. Um, so, so yeah, I feel like by the time you get that far down the row of children, it's like whatever. Well, that just goes to show you that it's not whatever she had to. You know what I mean? She, like she messed she up. That. She messed up. So uh, hopefully the other. Well, because she thought Maria Christina, her beautiful little, it was Maria Christina, right? I don't know. I it was so. yes, her most no, sorry, her prettiest daughter was Maria Elizabeth. She thought that Maria Elizabeth was the one who was going to get all the men and all these important diplomatic marriages. And then Maria Elizabeth gets all ugly, and they're like, "But what if we wanted Maria Antonia?" She's like, "Wow, that's the one and, I and never." She's uneducated. She's and... like, "Darn, I did not think that one was going to be needed." <laughs> you got you got to educate them all. You never know who you like. The, who you have the, to bring the, into the game. The woman who was like compulsory education was not so good about it. I mean, I'm sure they had, like, the basics, but that kid was not prepared to be a queen. And so she was buried in Vienna alongside her husband, and uh, you can still go see her today. Um, well, her coffin, anyway. Not, like, her, you know, decomposing body. Um, and it is so, kind of freaky, but okay. Not the body, just the coffin. I know, but these above-ground coffins and everybody going, it just, it, you don't find it freaky? A little bit. A little weird. Um, okay. And I put a note to myself at the bottom of this to make you guess who the famous daughter was, but we've done that already. So yes, Maria I'm Antoinette. I'm so proud of myself for that one. I'm glad you picked. I, it was it literally just because of the Marie Maria thing. Yeah. I like I said, I wasn't even sure what time period she existed yeah. in. Well, you were um, correct. She would pretty much be the only one I would know with that with the name Marie. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was. Yeah, I assumed as, I assumed that as soon as I listed the kids' names, if you hadn't cottoned on by then, then Maria Antonia might be like, hey, wait a minute. Sort of sounds similar. Yeah, I'm not that smart. Fair enough. <laughs> Respect. I would, because when you went through the names, I'm like, she didn't say Maria Antoinette. <laughs> she sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, Maria Heather, it was in there. She's second to last. She's second to last, and she's the last daughter. Um, and... So, anyways, that is actually the end of the episode because Maria Teresa is now dead. But what a life. What a lady. Not a great mom, but cool in other ways. Um, I like the fact that she liked her husband, that she loved her husband. I like the fact that she liked her husband, and I like the fact even more that she was like, I like you, husband, but I am in charge. 
I like that too because I think that at that time that was something you never saw. Yeah. But I hate the fact that when the time comes to pass the reins to her son, she can't do it. She can't do it. That does happen a lot. There's a lot of times where moms aren't. I think you need to be able to step back and let your kid shine for a minute. I think sometimes these women. And I mean, she had power for quite a long time, so it's a little bit different. But I think sometimes, like women who have like children that they serve as regents for and stuff like that, they it's like a taste of power. And then when it's time to give it up, they're like, I, "I've you've lived with it so long. I've never had the like, or like women never get the chance to be this, and now I can be it, and I don't. I'm not giving it up. I've had the taste of what it's like to be empowered. I don't Which, I mean, want. I can understand, but." I- there's also a thing about stepping back gracefully. Well, I think that's why, if you think about it as well, like men, like male, obviously like men who are rulers, not just men, but men who are rulers never do that because they rule until they die unless they literally want. Like there are some men who are like, you know what, I'm just too tired. That is true. They, so she should have ruled too soon. They're, that's true. They're never made to give it up. Whereas she, when her husband dies, it's like, sorry, it's but it's like, sorry, but your son's old enough to rule. So you're done. And it's like, Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get your, I get where you're coming from. With especially that. so because, especially because, obviously, her husband derived the power from her. So it's like I should still be allowed to be in charge. Yeah, he wouldn't have been anything without me. Yeah. So, anyways, but I love her. I think she's cool. She's not perfect, obviously. I mean, a lot of the but things about is? her suck, but. But who is? But Nobody's I, perfect. I think she's definitely fascinating, and it's not somebody that you ever like heavily cover in like an average history class. You'd have to be pretty deep in like a European history, or even like something more specific to the time period or the region. Well, like I said, I don't remember a whole bunch about Marie Antoinette, and I never knew Marie her parents. Yeah. So, see, I learned something. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I figured you probably, most people don't know her off the top of their heads. Um, but I'm glad you learned something. Um, and to wrap up, I would just like to remind you all where you can find me. So you can find me on Twitter at Happy History Pod. Instagram is at Happy Hour History Pod. Facebook, Happy Hour History Podcast. And my email is happyhourhistorypod at gmail.com. Um, you can also rate and review the podcast on uh, iTunes, the Apple Podcast app. Um, if you're listening to it on another platform, then I don't know if that's possible. But you can give it a go. Um, and let me know what your Maria name is because... I'm into it now. Really. I so it's did. a good thing I named you all Marie in the middle. Mm, you flipped it the wrong way. Definitely should have been. We all should have been Marie or something. So it would be really confusing. We'd all have to go by our middle name. It would have It would have been slightly confusing. Could you imagine me if I had to yell at one of you? Maria. We're like, I mean, don't get me wrong. When, what do you do when you yell at a kid? You always put their middle name in. Middle name that kid. And God forbid you get to their last name. It's a big deal. You're... You're in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, so everyone can let me know what their Maria name was. Um, and hopefully we'll get some good ones. And so that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. And we will be back uh, next time with Marie Antoinette so I can torture my mother with more history. And drinking. Two things that she doesn't probably like that much. I'm really, really still wanting to get to the dark part. The dark part is, well, guess what? The beheading is coming. Marie, uh, Marie, uh, I'm so sorry, Marie Antoinette. But mom likes dark stuff. But I like the dark stuff. Maria Theresa dying of pneumonia is just not as exciting. No, sorry. But there's a lot of war, so it kind of makes up for it. (laughs) Anywho, bye everyone. Thanks for listening.